Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, number 132. I'm your host, Brian. Joining this evening, Ian. Hey, hey. And Mac. Good evening, everybody. The token female. Hey, uh, may the fourth be with you. Yes. And the dumbass himself. The token I see your Schwartz is the same size as mine. <laughs> <laughs> How is everybody doing this evening? Eh, not bad. Still have a pinched nerve in my shoulder. I'm coping. Well, I, I do hope that the token female is dressed appropriately for the podcast. Uh, probably well, not. The rest I, of us just sit around in our underwear. I probably have too many clothes on. Too many clothes chilly. on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> chilly at my house. Hey, I did send you guys pictures of me in my racing kit, though. I did some cycling this weekend. And um, when you guys make me into a superhero, I, uh, I have the outfit all ready to go. Yes, but no capes. No yeah, capes. No, no capes. No capes. No capes. <laughs> well, good. Well, uh, looks like we, do we have an announcement? Ian's going to tell us about AnomalyCon. Oh, okay, we have AnomalyCon. Well, we also wanted to um, uh, give a shout out to Peter Oh, that's right. Knoll. Yes. Uh, yeah. Peter Kennold. Who does uh, our intro name, right? music. Yeah. Uh, we just realized that he was the same person who uh, we talked about a couple episodes ago. Um. And we we didn't even make the connection. He does our in, uh, he uh, sent me a message about the non conference uh, happening here in Canada in Kitchener, Ontario, uh, and, which I mentioned on the show. And uh, he is the same person who does our intro music, a fellow Canadian. So shout out to him. Yeah, well, and our inability to connect those two really shows the professional quality of this podcast. <laughs> can I? Can we say who connected the dots there? Yeah, we can. We can say that it was uh, Terry who who yes. did the hard work there. She yep. is the investigative reporter. I was like, that, hey, that, that name yeah. sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so he does our our lovely intro music, and uh, and yeah, and he's involved in uh, some stuff going on in Canada. So that was fantastic. And she figured that out by figured that out while changing the changing the tire of a helpless male cyclist. <laughs> I totally changed his tire. You know, uh, so I was telling you guys before the show, I was riding um, on a local bike path and um, saw this guy, you know, like late for work after lunch, pushing his bike up a hill in cycling shoes, which are really uncomfortable to walk in because they have cleats that stick out on the bottom. They're made for cycling. They're not made for walking. Anyway, I saw that he had flatted and I pulled over to see if I could help and he didn't have anything. He didn't have a tube. He didn't have tire levers. He didn't have air. And I just have all of that. So I just sat there like a rock star and fixed his bike for him. And um, later the next day, he went to the bike shop where I work and bought me a gift card, which was so sweet. So unnecessary, but very sweet. Would you say that those shoes are more uncomfortable to walk in or more uncomfortable to be walked on with? Uh, <laughs> it depends on the cleat. If it's an SPD cleat, probably not so bad. But if it's a look-compatible road cleat, like a 3 like a, a three nut cleat, then probably that would hurt. So, so Terry, what is your superhero name? I need to think of one. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> While we're talking about biking, can I just totally walk over Ian's um, anomaly con and just roll on with my cycling thing here? Oh, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Ian. That's okay. <laughs> I have Women's Ride Day coming up. Um, so I work as an ambassador for a bike shop here in Aurora called Adventure Cycling. The shop is hosting an event along with specialized bicycles called Women's Ride Day. It's Sunday, May 31st at 9 a.m. 
All women are welcome to come and ride a mellow lap around the Cherry Creek State Park with me. It's about 12 miles. We'll probably go 10 to 12 miles an hour, so it's a pretty low-key pace. And then we, we'll go back to the bike shop and have snacks and drinks. We have a couple prizes to give away and uh, maybe do a flat repair clinic since uh, not everyone obviously knows how to do that. And the idea behind the event is to foster a welcoming and inclusive cycling culture for women. So if you're interested, come ride with me. You can check our Facebook page for updates and information. You can either search Adventure Cycling Divas on Facebook for the Bike Shop Women's Ride page or check our show notes for the link to that. All right. All right, Ian. Tell us about AnomalyCon so that we can masturbate. <laughs> after, okay. I mean, after you tell us about it, we'll, we'll move on to the masturbation moment. That's you what I meant. while I'm telling you about it? <laughs> well, you know. You, you can masturbate while I talk. Challenge accepted. <laughs> okay, anyway. Your, your voice um, just has that kind of effect on us anyway. <laughs> <laughs> As our listeners might have known if they're paying attention, I was talking about AnomalyCon about a month ago. Uh, I did go. Brian and Baxter were there, and as always, they did um, an impressive presentation. I'd seen some of it before because, you know, they reuse certain um, visuals and such. But, you know, as always, quite impressive, quite enjoyable. Um, the interesting thing is, while I was waiting um, to start a panel on, I believe it was my Star Trek, the Science of Star Trek panel, which is really cool, um, Judy Lynn Nye was... Um, also on the panel. She's actually a known author, and she was really cool to talk to. Anyways, while we were waiting to, um, for that, um, a gentleman named Andrew was in the audience and looked at me and said, hey, I listened to your podcast. It's like, cool. Now, his story behind it all is quite interesting because he apparently saw me and Brian several years ago at the um, Skeptic Camp in Boulder where we did the um, presentation on how to do a podcast. However, he didn't start listening to our podcast at that time. It was off of some other podcast that talked about us that he started listening to us. What podcast? Um, other podcasts are talking about us? Yeah. But he said it was some other skeptic podcast that was making reference to us that got him to actually start listening to us. So that was cool. Then, the coolest part was he mentioned the fact that he wasn't sure if he was going to make it to AnomalyCon. He had gone in the past, but um, he wasn't sure if he was going to go this year. Except for the fact that I started talking about Brian and Baxter, which means we actually have a listener out there that listens to what we say and actually acted upon something I said on the podcast. It's a terrible privilege, Ian. <laughs> it's like, wow. You must use this power for good. <laughs> yeah. 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 Let's, let's never, let's, never let it be used for let's, evil. Let's, let's, let's not lead. It's a terrifying thing. Let's not lead our one listener astray. <laughs> I'm wondering what other podcasts mentioned us. I know. Me too. Deprecating. Way. I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> they probably were saying nothing nice, but we want to know nonetheless. <laughs> and he started listening just out of sheer curiosity. <laughs> exactly. How, see the train wreck. Could they really did be they, that bad? Did they preface it with those bastards, the amateur skeptics? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, they let a girl on that show. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so anyways, it was a pretty cool experience. Oh, that is cool. All right. Well, good. Well, it's definitely time for the masturbation moment. Oh, yeah. The Amateur Skeptics present Ian's Masturbation Moment, brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Dumbass Media Empire 
bringing you content that touches people while they touch themselves. Oh, I'm sorry. I finished up with the Women's Ride Day. You guys go ahead. You did. <laughs> May 31st, 9 a.m. Right, continue. Okay. I thought I thought we did that. We already did that. Okay. Oh, okay. So the, the first one here is mine. This is from weeks back. I put this in here. So um, I, I don't know if uh, I, I've mentioned this. I have three daughters. And I'm not stupid, right? I know that they're going to have sex at some point. And, and so my, my, my feeling about it has always been to try and give them the best information that we can. And my wife had, had purchased this book called The Midwest Teen, so, Teen, Teen Sex Show. And, and I was reading, I was looking at this book and I'm like, Hey, wait a second. They, they had a, you know, they were a YouTube channel or whatever. And so I went and found it. And the, it's just the, the information on here is just, I mean, it's, it's funny. It's straight to the point and it's, it's, it's not afraid to, to say, you know, that people are going to have sex. So the, the best way to, to arm your teenager is to give them the best information possible so that when they finally do do it, that they do it for the, that they're doing it for the right reasons and they're using the proper protections. And this show is, I mean, it's just hilarious and, and delivers good information, but it's not the, inform- it's not the, it's not the delivery that you, that you would normally expect because, um, it is from a, a pro sex, um, point of view even for teens i would say and not and and, and not in such a way that like that like they're encouraging teens to go out and have sex but from from a point of view where they're saying you know and she and she has some guidelines for to know when you're ready right but when you are ready then then you know here's this information that you're going to need now brian regarding your daughter's having sex have you considered being completely in denial and sticking <laughs> your fingers in your ear and going la 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 we yeah. don't live in Texas, don't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched an episode. It's really great. I watched an episode about um, dating men in their 20s and 30s, like teenage girls dating men in their 20s and 30s. And instead of shaming the girls, which is what everyone else does, uh, they just did this really hilarious spoof where um, – the teenage, the girl who played the teenage girl, you know, was like smacking her gum and stuff and talking about her boyfriend's van and how he got kicked out of his sister's house. But he, you know, and just like the way she presented him secondhand made him seem like the most pathetic loser on the planet. So instead of girls are sluts, girls don't, you know, it was all about this pathetic guy that was trying to, you know, be predatory on teenage right. girls and it was great it was a really great way to do that it's one of the first times that i've seen the shame be put in the proper place yeah <laughs> i mean yeah i we we, we shame that we shame we're always shaming the girl who is you know who is basically less experienced and and, and more subject to like peer pressures and stuff like that the, the guy should know better right, right? What, why why is he i mean what kind of predator is looking for for you know teenage girls Exactly. And so I, 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 I like the, I like the focus. I love um, one of their spoof commercials where he's talking, where the, where the father goes in to talk to his daughter and, and he's like, you and, you and Brandon love each other. And she says, Oh no, I'm not dating him anymore. He, he died and he died in a freak accident. It was in, which is a reference to another, to a, to an earlier video they did. I'm dating so and so again. He's like, Oh, well, I want you guys to think about absent. She's like, we're already having sex. He says, no, no, no. Abstinence the condom. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that one too. Yeah. I thought that was that was really good too. Yeah. So, so it, I mean, it doesn't. I mean, the, it, it is. I, I'd say that it's it's 
the the balance on it kind of leans towards um it's okay to have sex where you see most sex for teens leaning towards it's not okay to have sex right yeah so it's so it it's it, i would say it's balanced another way but it's not so far balanced that i think that my teenager watching this is going to think oh i should go have sex because that's not what this show does it's just I, I thought it was brilliant. Unfortunately, I think it's not on. I think I mean they stopped doing it a while back. This last post was from 2013, March 29th. So it looks like they they have stopped doing it. But I, I the the you know the one lady that delivered the information, then the, and then the other woman who was the kind of the comic that you know, I I just thought it was a brilliant approach to the to the whole subject. I agree. Yep. Well, you know, I do think the way they teach sex education often. Uh, really makes kids afraid of sexual intercourse, you know, because they, they they really hammer in about, you know, sexually transmitted diseases and things like that. And right. Yeah. And, and so in, the, in this one, they talk about the, you know, they talk about um, sexually transmitted infections, SDIs, and they and but they also they talk about other things. They talk about vaginas and breasts and, um, you know, they, they talk about. I mean, fetishes, orgasms, penises. Uh, they even talk about breakups. So th- they they cover all of the different things, but they don't do it in a scary point of view. They they do it's all from an approach of um, you know the, here's the information and here's what you should and, and here's and here's how here you, how you should deal with it, as opposed to trying just to scare them. And we know that that scaring people, I mean, is 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 effective. Only to a certain point. And this idea of not giving them the information and, and you know, and, and pretending like the kids are never going to have sex, we know that doesn't work. You know, the teen pregnancy rate kind of, you know, lets us know. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like this approach of giving them, you know, the information in a sex positive point of view. And but also telling them, hey, it's OK, you know, to I mean, this doesn't mean you go have sex. This means that, you know, you, you wait to, you know, you you find the time. And I, and I forget exactly what her um, points were about when it, how, how you know that it's time, you know, or that, that it's appropriate, you know. So it was, yeah, it was just great. Yeah, it, I agree. It's not uh, it's a little lower key than Lacey Green. I like Lacey Green a lot, but Lace- um, this is a little less kind of in your face than that. It's a little more subtle. And I, I appreciate that too. Yeah, well, she's fantastic too because once again, it's from a sex positive point of view. She delivers good, appropriate information without a scare tactic. Yep. And and that's the kind of sex education that I'm looking for for my kids. Yeah, me too. To- I totally agree. Plus, as I always say, I let them know that it's something their parents are doing. <laughs> so how do you do that? He just leaves the door open. (laughs) (laughs) No, we we have a neon sign outside the front uh, on the on the front of our door that says "Sex in Progress." It's it's on a lot. So let's talk about for just a minute. Let's pick apart my psychology for just a second. Okay. Okay. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do that. So. my son has come to me in the morning a couple of times and asked if I've had a bad dream the night before because he heard sounds that made him think that I was in some kind of distress. And I have I have brushed that off. I've been like, oh, yeah, maybe I did. I don't quite remember because I'm not comfortable saying to him, oh, no, no, that's a, what is it, a female 
copulatory vocalization, honey. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, well, but, hey, you could say that he wouldn't understand you. He might. Well, how old is you? How, how old? How old is your kid? He's eleven. He's eleven. Oh, okay, then he might understand. He, he, you know what? This is about you being embarrassed about it totally having. It's is. about yeah, you. I own it. Your 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 kid is not going to have a problem, and I I mean I I my approach would be to tell them exactly what was happening. Oh, mommy and daddy were having sex. Oh, that's when your father's tongue was. Oh no, I don't. <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know that you need to go <laughs> that far. I'm very good at making my um, wife uncomfortable with sex talk. <laughs> I've learned exactly what to say around her. <laughs> I would. I would just tell them what what was going on. Yeah, I should. I know. I in my head, logically, right. And, and as we're speaking now, I totally agree. I mm. should tell them exactly. Oh yeah, we were just and just be nonchalant about it. But in the moment when I'm drinking my first sip of coffee and this comes up, I just can't quite like I can't quite process through that. But next time I resolve. Next time it occurs, I will be honest. We have told our kids to you go know, to I, bed. I, I'm not even sure that's necessary. I'm sure he'll catch on one of these days. We, well, that's what I was sort of hoping for, but but, no, but I think no, the fact that I, I'm evasive that they I think that that's worse because I he's agree. he's going to figure out what was going on, and then he's going to be like, "Wait, why is she embarrassed about it?" And why now and and so it's yeah. so you're already sex shaming your kids. I know I'm fucking this all up. I totally get that. We, I, <laughs> I'm working I, on it though. My wife and I have told our kids to go to bed so that we could have sex. How <laughs> did start saying that? See that's that to me is pretty funny. I'm gonna do that. That'll be great. I you know what I did to, I did to, you know what I did to my oldest? She was twelve, so that, yeah, this is about a year. To, maybe she might have been eh, eleven or twelve. I told her it be and it's because of something I saw on the internet. I, I it's 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 about it's a it's a thing about um uh, about keeping your parents off the internet. And 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 the and the older father says to his son, "I need to know if." Latex will bond a stucco. So I was going to do a search for latex bondage. And so I told, so I told her, Nadia, I need to know if latex will bond a stucco. Can you go do a search for me for latex bondage? <laughs> no, other people have thought that is absolutely horrible that you would do that to your, to your what, 11 or 12 year child. But the fact of the matter is, is that because I've handled this stuff with humor and they, and they're aware that it's out there and, and I, there's no shame about it. You know, I, I, I think that I think that I'm better off. I think I think you are and I think they are. I totally agree. This could blow up. I'm not up sure on if me. I've ever told you this story. When I was eleven, I found my dad's collection of uh old vintage Playboys and uh, I was interested in looking through them and my dad found found out and he basically gave them to me. Great. Nice one. See, but I, I think I think by doing those kinds of things that and one one you're not you're not hiding sex, you're not showing shame about it, right? And so I, I so I, I hope I mean and my kids still do the you know oh, oh I'm embarrassed stuff, but I show them stuff. I, I'll show them Lacey Green videos, right? Remember the Volvo cookies? Yeah, mm, I show yeah. those to all my kids. Do mm. I remember the Volvo cookies? Yeah. You made the Volvo cookies? No, we no. didn't. No, no, no. Oh, the, the, <laughs> Because I'm not that good an artist, I'd, I'd hate to really yeah. screw up the vulva and say, "See, kids, this is what a vulva looks like." And it's a Picasso, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a, I, 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 the Picasso vulva is not. I, I, I don't think I want to go that far. Hey, you, you can make a point with it. You know, everybody <laughs> has different shaped vulvas, and just because you might think yours <laughs> looks weird, that does. <laughs> right, and then and then I showed my oldest the the Lacey Green. Um, she does. She has a vulva video, and so I so I've tried to point my kids. 
at, at all these resources, right? And hoping that when they finally decide that they're interested, that they'll know that that stuff's out there and, and that they'll be able to go look for it because I've exposed them to Rather than talk to, to you. <laughs> they so can, they, I, I don't, here's the thing is that I don't think they're going to want to talk to me because, I mean, it is an embarrassing topic, right? And, and so asking your parents, even though we've been open about it, I, I don't know. I, I'd like for them to do that, right? But if they're not going to do that, I'd like them to have the best information possible. But you don't want them to get immersed in um, seeing seeing disturbing stuff or seeing non-consensual stuff or you know what I mean? Like there's like I'm with you up to a point and then there's so much shit out there that's horrible that you can't unsee once you've seen it. But you can't protect them from it either. Yeah, but maybe you can protect them from it till they're a little older than 11. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But I mean – I have not showed them anything that's not consensual. No, I know you haven't. But if they go searching on their own. Well, I, I mean. I, I don't think it'll scar them or anything. No, it won't. The, I think we've talked about this in the past. The one book I read that um, was What About the Children, where it clearly states never, porn, language, all that has never been once proven to harm kids in any way. Right. We're just overprotective about it because of um, certain values that have been part of a society right but to, to your point terry i am pointing them at 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 knowledgeable good resources right you're not saying go look at every porn thing you can i'm see. not i'm not encouraging them to do that either i'm but i'm showing them i i am modeling the stuff for them that i think is appropriate sure okay that makes sense and you know about a non-consensual thing i mean some people do have like rape fantasies or things like that and that's perfectly okay as long mm-hmm. as the depictions of them are actually just you know, scripted right. and not, you know, real rapes that they're putting online. As long as it's consensual Correct. rape. Fantasy. Pretty much, yes. Yeah. <laughs> or legitimate. Act it out. <laughs> right. So I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I hope that I've done the right thing, right? All you can do is, is, you know, is hope that you've done the right thing. Isn't that all of parenting? Like every single thing we do. Just right. Exactly. <laughs> I could be, I could be completely wrong and this could blow completely up in my face, right? Um, but it couldn't be any worse than than going out and getting pregnant, right? Well, that, Brian, it. no matter what, do you think they can be as screwed up as you are? Well, I mean, they, they do have the same genetics. <laughs> we know we have we have data on the outcomes of abstinence only, and we have data on the outcomes of shaming kids, and I none of that shit works. So I like your approach much better. Yeah, but I mean, there are people who think that I'm I, I've gone way too far. Sure. Right. But I, but I, I mean, my kids are aware that their parents are having sex. I've shown them, I've shown them stuff. You know, I've shown them the Volvo cookies. I've showed them Lacey Green videos. I've showed them the Midwest teen sex show. Right. So I, hopefully the information that they have is, is, is better. And at least it's more honest and open than don't do it. It's bad. Slightly off topic, I just had a little thought, a little bit of a moral quandary I have with porn a little bit. Like when, it, when you're looking for stuff like say there are like a bunch of stuff out there that's like voyeur footage. And of course, the vast majority of it is going to be fake because that's how they crank that stuff out. And I'm OK with that. But what if some of it is real and then you look at it and, you know, that makes me very uncomfortable? Well, to, to be clear, I'm not showing my kids porn. <laughs> so, right. No, I know. Oh, no. I, I'm, I, I was totally on board with you when I thought you were showing your kids porn. Oh. Now I'm, I'm disappointed in you, Brian. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. It was funny. My oldest has um, – we, we decided to let him start watching Game of Thrones. And um, there was, um, in it, there are some um, homosexual scenes, and there is also some bisexual stuff going on. And um, 
I'll, I'll make some jokes about it sometimes when he's watching. It's like, oh, so is this the nudity you like? What? No, no, no. <laughs> but, um, you know, he, he's watching all, all that, and he, he's still one that has some he, – he has some weird issues with sex, actually, considering how open we've been with him. He actually – um finds a few ideas kind of disgusting stuff. Well, but so. here's the thing is that so do my kids. I think that a lot of this is social this is the their friends and and, yeah. and this and they're with that socialized because not everybody is open and honest about it and there and there's still an overriding cultural um uh, idea that that it, that it's dirty, right? I think you're right oh, yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that so even as open as I am, I think that my kids still get this stuff and and the data has shown that their peers are more influential on them than their parents in a lot of in a lot of circumstances. So I I know that that their their friends and and how their friends respond to stuff is is still going to have a huge impact on them more than I can. So I can't override that. Right. And and I wish I could. I wish I could have. I wish I could. I could have sex positive kids right out of the gate. But unfortunately, it's it's even I have seen that that's not happening. Yeah, but you're laying the foundation, right? I mean, I think of how they're going to move through middle school and high school and kind of have that in the background. And then, then when they emerge from that intense peer culture into adulthood, there's going to have that foundation of positivity and information. I hope so. That's the, I mean, that's what, that's all I can hope for. Yeah. All right. There are Japanese games showing where guys sing while getting jerked off. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I think this is uh, basically the other side of that uh, uh, website that we saw a while back with the women reading while somebody uh, somebody got them off with a uh, vibrator. vibrator. Yeah. Um, this there's a Japanese game show. Uh, basically, it's a singing contest, but the um, the catch is that the guys are. Getting jerked off by a pretty lady while they are singing. So I love this. I, I I love this idea. I mean, because it's the the looks on these people's faces. I mean, it's and I didn't. And unfortunately, this video is is has been removed. But um, the, well, uh, yeah, I noticed that it's been removed. But I think everybody who's listening to this can pretty much imagine exactly how it went. <laughs> You, I don't think that you can fake the expression on your face. When I mean, you, when you're having an orgasm, you lose a lot of your control over those muscles, and 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 uh, there's just something genuine about about these looks on these people's faces that is just awesome. And unfortunately, I didn't get to see this video, so I am thinking back to to the women. So maybe men, <laughs> maybe men can have disingenuous faces while orgasming. I. I did any of you get to see it in time before it was taken down? No, I did not. I <laughs> did you watch it, dumbass? Uh, I, I watched a little bit of it. So, but yeah, it's basically exactly like what you'd expect. Cool. All right. Well, I, I, I kind of think that we've been too sex positive at this point. So it's time for for Star Wars euphemisms for masturbating. Are, are you guys ready for this? Let's do it. Fifteen shooting wop rats in Beggar Canyon. Pretty tame. Here, fourteen grooming the Wookie. Uh, predictable. Can anybody here make a Wookie sound? <laughs> you know, that's closer than I can do. I'm very bad at faking 
female copulatory vocalizations as we've discussed. I can't. The wiki, my wiki sound is worse than that. <laughs> All right. 13, making the Kessel run. That one I like. That one you like? Okay. 12, polishing Vader's helmet. Predictable again. There are, there are, there are Star Wars euphemisms for masturbatings. Uh, once we get done with these 15, you can give us your best. Oh, I like okay. the relevant. Excavating Tatooine. Evacuating. Evacuating Tatooine. Huh? That's one of my favorites. That's, that's, that's pretty good. Let's see. A 10. Unshielding the meat saver. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing for uh, Mac. Once again, I mean, what are we supposed to do? Number nine, re- releasing the special edition. That one I like. <laughs> okay. Number eight, jumping to delight speed. Uh, this is more space balls, I would yeah. say. <laughs> yeah, uh, Star Wars uses hyperspace, right? Right. Uh, they use, um, yeah, hyperspace. Uh, Something it's got to be something about parsecs too. Yeah, well, I don't see anything. Yeah. Um, communicating with the red with red leader one. <laughs> That's number seven. <laughs> number six is pretty good. Number six. <laughs> <laughs> Lightsaber practice with Captain Solo. I. It wasn't as funny the first time, but trying to read that while Terry's laughing. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Mm. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Number five, tinker, tinkering with R with the R two unit. I like that because that could be male or female masturbation. Where some of these, I think, are pretty much male specific. Yeah, polishing the helmet is pretty male. Yeah, 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 yeah. Manually targeting the rebel base. <laughs> I like that one. That's pretty good. Performing the Jedi hand trick. <laughs> this is number three. Number two, scratching Yoda behind the ears. <laughs> <laughs> and the number one Star Wars euphemism for masturbating, test firing the Death Star. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Right. Now, what was that? Does anybody know the name of that creature in the asteroid? Oh. oh, my son does. A oh. space slug? No. no it's space <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> there, there has to be a euphemism in there somewhere, I think. <laughs> okay, so if, if none of these thrilled you, Mac, what's your best euphemism for masturbating from Star Wars? I actually honestly don't have one, <laughs> but I did like some of those. How about, how about, how about, how about ones that will kill an erection? <clears throat> She's my sister. <laughs> or you know what kills my lady boner is but i was gonna go get some power converters that's right from the when tashi luke, station when luke gets all fussy yeah. when luke yeah whiny luke will oh, ruin an erection if there's anything in the star wars universe that will kill an erection that would be misa <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, how about Job of the Hut bent over with his ass in the air? Uh, <laughs> Does bring an image. All right. Well, now I've got to go really masturbate. <laughs> you know, if 
Jabba the King, if Jabba the Hutt has a has a kink in the Star Wars universe, it's got to be Vor. It's got to be what? Vor. 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 How about shaped Wookiee porn? Ah, oh, that's terrible! Oh my god, that's a boner killer. Oh my god, what is in the purse that Chewbacca wears? What is in the purse? I need to know. We know that his father has some kinky stuff. If you ever watch the Star Wars Holiday Special, Chewbacca's father. There's a scene where it definitely looks like he's getting off on um, porn. Whatever. If if you want to call it porn, it's close enough. Yeah, you got to figure that that all that hair really absorbs the astro glide. <laughs> in that um, dumbass, in that uh, video that we watched before the show, <laughs> Chewbacca has a cone like a dog cone around his neck. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Like Wookiee bondage porn. Yeah, so there, of course that's the uh, the SNL spoof trailer for the new Star Wars. That, that's uh, fantastic. Everybody should watch. Yes. <clears throat> All right. Well, let's move on to the hairy creature feature. Hey, it's brought back by the demand of Primus. By Primus, huh? Uh huh. All right. So uh, I it, this was kind of interesting. Um, the first one on here was about Laura Keats eating meat. Um. And I guess the uh, experts down in Australia are horrified to see that these rainbow lorikeets have taken to uh, – the guy started out by leaving out mincemeat for the the kookaburras and the other birds that are a little bit more of the carnivorous type. But the lorikeets have taken to chasing other breed, other birds away from the meat. Um that's really interesting because these are primarily fruit eaters. I mean, these are they are yeah they are fruit and nectar eaters, right? But anybody who knows anything about hookbills also knows that they are pretty opportunistic feeders. Sure, but this does kind of surprise me. It is interesting. I mean, they've got a very specialized tongue, which really shouldn't lend itself to this. Their tongue is actually more like a more like a hummingbird's tongue. Sure, but I mean. I mean, parrots are not like like mine is a terrible eater, right? He because uh, he cause he'll pick his food up right in the the and he crunches it, and whatever falls on the floor, you know, it, whatever, you know, and, and it's like, are you are you do you get anything in your mouth? How how do you stay fed with the way that you know he, he's just such a messy eater? Mine makes soup. Yeah, well, that's the he other takes, thing he He takes yeah. whatever he finds in his bowl that looks interesting enough <clears throat> over to his water dish and soaks it. Yeah, a lot of soaking going on. Yep. So, yeah, so this did surprise me because they are primarily – they're not even a nut in uh, a nut and seed eater. They're primarily a fruit and nectar eater. So that's right. really interesting. Well, you know, uh, talking of birds and carnivorous nature, I made a turkey Sunday night and – or I made a turkey on Saturday and – I happened to walk Tango by that turkey, and his eyes got huge, and he absolutely wanted turkey, and he got some. <laughs> but he saw that, and he's like, oh, is that all for me? <laughs> hey, Mac. You know, this reminds me. There was a news article I read years ago about a cow that had started just eating the baby chicks on the farm. I saw something about that in the other article on here, too, yeah. Well, uh, you know what else will eat birds? Deer. Deer, apparently, yeah. Yeah. 
because uh, they found uh, they had nest cams set up and they were watching these songbird nests and find, found out that wild that these white-tailed deer were basically chowing down on chowing down on birds and it's not it's not a isolated incident they had nets set up to catch birds peacefully and the deer came along and just gobbled the birds out of the nets they gobbled up the trapped birds once again though you know i guess any animal can be opportunistic and if yeah. the opportunity arises yeah and it's it's what they're what they're saying is that it's possible that herbivores have always done this and we just have never caught them at it before. Don't you think that's likely? I think it's probably very likely. I think everything is highly opportunistic. I think you you, you know if you're in the animal world you take you take ready food where you can get it. Sure, absolutely. I love the fact that they closed the uh, deer article, though, with the line from The Simpsons, if a cow ever got the chance, he'd eat you and everyone you ever cared about. <laughs> oh, I've got an animated gif here of the, a cow eating a chick. Excellent. Well, we know okay. the cows urge people to eat chickens. <laughs> At least in the Chick-fil-A ads, they do. There we go. All right. What's the next thing you got here, Mac? Um... This is an interesting video that was basically these two ravens essentially trying to bluff each other. The researcher who was filming this gave one raven a treat. And so the other raven kept trying to figure out where the first raven was was hiding it. But he also set up decoy spots where he was pretending to hide stuff so that the other bird wouldn't think that he was interested. That's pretty so complex. Play- they they played this elaborate game where they essentially the the one with the treat kept setting up decoy caches and the one without the treat kept setting up decoy caches trying to make the other bird think that he had something already and may either make him leave his cache to come scope out what the other bird had or to make him make the other bird think that he wasn't interested in spotting where he was hiding his stuff hmm. That is interesting. That's real. That's really complicated social behavior. Like I'm always amazed when you talk about that kind of stuff with birds. And it it is it's highly complicated behavior, and it, you know, I think Brian, you and I were having a conversation about ravens apparently behaving in an altruistic fashion toward geese and ducks, and we couldn't figure out why. Mm-hmm. But this this makes perfect sense. This makes sense with what we know of ravens. This one does too. The I still think that that previous conversation. There was something we didn't know. I believe I. I think you're probably right. I think there was probably some factor in there we didn't know anything about. But you know, all you can look at from that is is what you're observing, and then try to figure out where the behavior fits in. Right. I did go do a little bit of searching, and I I saw historical references to ravens guarding other birds, but it was like really really old historical references. You know, particularly with ravens. What are they getting? They, they 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 must be getting something out of it to to do that behavior. It's not. I I don't I, I don't buy that it's altruistic. No. I, I I agree that it looks that way from an observation point of view, but I I I have doubts. It could be. We can only right? look at it with human eyes, right? Mm. And with human, you know, with trying to figure mm. out the animal's point of view from our human point of view. I I would bet if they were being altruistic towards other ravens, I would buy it more than than towards another species. The only thing I can figure is that they were trying to 
build warmth for a cold night, so they were bringing other birds in if they couldn't get enough ravens. And that could be, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but apparently, crows will enter into barter relationships with humans. According to the next article, there's a girl who's been feeding these crows since she was four years old, and they have started bringing her trinkets. Um, Lego pieces, scraps of metal, um, a piece of metal with the word best on it, which was probably part of a necklace that said best friends. And she's been collecting these things that she got from from these crows, from this flock of crows. What is interesting, though, is that one of the items that they brought her was the lost lens cap from her mother's camera. So it sounds, it seems to me as if they do connect her with objects that happen in her vicinity. This is possible. I, I, I don't know. You know, the problem that we have with all of this kind of stuff is that we're trying to interpret the mind of these birds. Yeah. And, and so it, it's just as likely that these birds collect stuff and they, they come over here and it's like, oh, they hear this food and they drop it. Right. And they go eat and they forget about the, the thing that they were carrying. Right. Possibly. But, you know, I think that, I, I think that we've seen that crows and ravens have a little more smarts than that. I, yeah, they do. Absolutely. So, yeah, so it's possible that they really are bringing her these things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, that's certainly a possibility. Well, and if they brought her one thing by accident one time and she was happy about it, they would bring her more stuff by intent later on because it keeps them, it keeps them getting fed. Well, there, that's possible. That's certainly true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a, like training almost at mm-hmm. that point. Yeah. Listen, if, if I have a treat, and I put my bird on the table, he'll automatically start spinning even before I tell him to turn and flapping his <laughs> wings because he knows these are the things he's going to tell me to get that treat. So I'll just do them. <laughs> <laughs> do them quick. Give me the treat. Exactly. He, he'll flap his wings. He turns. He flaps his wings and he turns. It's pretty funny. Yeah. My bird knows that if he rings his bell that eventually I will come in there and bring him something. Well, this is one but of the that's reasons. That's because yeah. you trained me. Well, <laughs> exactly, <gonna> <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> it's like those uh, those movies where, like the uh, the lady of the house would ring the bell for the butler to come on up and bring the mm-hmm. when bring the, the tea or whatever. When the birds I call are it being, the servant bell. Yeah. Yes, that's it. When the birds are being really chatty in the mornings, we we don't we won't get them out of their cage until they until they quiet down, because we don't want them to to learn that when they're being noisy, that we'll come let them out. Smart. Yeah, that is smart. That's like the see child rearing again. That's a good tactic for mm-hmm. child rearing. I've also showed my bird, you know, videos about sex and have tried to make them aware of <laughs> appropriate bird sex behaviors. How's that working out? I, I don't think it's working at all. <laughs> all right. So anyway, the uh, the other article, the second article about crows bringing gifts to people. Um, some of this stuff is less less convincing because you know we've got people in there who I think are interpreting the crow's reactions a little bit more freely than this, than this, this young girl is. She's got a history with these crows and this other one seems like people jumping on the bandwagon. Um, the first, the first lady was talking about how she helped a crow that had been injured. And when the crow learned to fly and went back into the wild, it started, it did continue to bring her stuff and it did continue to visit her. Mm, okay. 
That makes perfect sense, Brian. It, it, yeah. I mean, she was probably feeding them before that, too. Well, and in any case, she was feeding the crow after that. So the crow is going to go mm. back to where there is easy food. You know, what, I the, mean, the we've problem... got we've got sparrows, which are relatively simple birds, but they recognize my roommate and they know that she brings bird seed out with her. Sure. And they absolutely. know where to go for the bird seed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This idea of birds giving gifts, I, I, I'm color me skeptical. I, I, I think it's possible, but I'm wondering if there's something else going on. And, and the fact of the matter is, is, you know, that there's been, I, I, is there a research paper that, that has really tried to test this in such a way with, with controlled environmental variables? No. Although they have done some pretty good research on crows learning extremely complex behaviors. They have done that. Absolutely. So, so I, I understand that this is possible, but I sometimes, I wonder if there's, I, I just wonder if there's something else going on. There always is that possibility when you're doing animal studies that you're anthropomorphizing too much, I guess. But, yes. Yeah. You know, so I guess you got to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. I mean, but, uh, you know, it, it's plausible, so... It is plausible, yep. Need more research. I, I just think that, that that sometimes these bird, these, you know, animal behaviors are much more complex, and, and we and we um, we minimize that and try to just anthropomorphize. But, you know, who knows? It's hard to know. You can't look into the mind of an animal, right? Yeah. I mean, it's easy for me to tell, like, with my parrot, that, that he's turning and flapping his wings because I have trained him to do those things for treats, right? Right. So so those behaviors are a direct correlation with me giving him a treat. There's there's less of a direct correlation here. Well, I mean, it's, it's the idea got, of the of the, of the thorn in the lion's paw. You've got direct correlation with this what this girl giving the crows <clears throat> treats and them doing things for her. Sure. No, there there is. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, this idea—you know—the the lion, you know, with the with the thorn in his paw, being so grateful because you took the took you know took the thorn out of his paw. I think it kind of goes. I think sometimes we we um, you know, we that I mean, which is a bullshit fable because that lion is <laughs> just going to eat you. No, it depends on how hungry he gets. <laughs> I sometimes think that 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 they that we think that our altruism towards them is recognized as altruism when it when maybe it's not well it, yeah, may, it probably depends may on the be, animal it, it probably, may not yeah. be recognized as altruism but it may be recognized as obligation well that could be sure sure it does depend on the animal you're right yeah regardless these stories are interesting and they're certainly interesting anecdotes um yeah, something interesting um mm. i guess in some other stuff I read on crows, there was a situation where this guy had been killing the crows in his field, and then he found out what the crows were doing there, which is they were eating the insects that were killing his crops. He thought the crows were killing his crops. So when he stopped and started putting stuff out for the crows, they came back in force, and he's had healthier crops since then. That's okay. one of those uh, correlation causation type things where – Yep. You find out that it's easy to mistake the two. Yeah. But we have a weird – we have kind of a weird relationship with crows. We've got people that – you know, we've got this history of farming culture where we think crows are crop killers. And yeah, they, they, they can be. They, they can definitely take out crops. They are good crop pests. 
parrots are crop pests down in South America. Oh, yeah. Your bird and my bird, Brian, crop pests in South America. Not my bird. Yeah, your bird. Oh, yeah, my little one. Yeah. Your conure. Yeah, my conure. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we have this we have this relationship with them that's kind of a kind of a hate fascination relationship. There are people out there who just absolutely hate crows and think they're they're dirty and filthy. And then you've got people that actually study them and find out that they're fascinating. Well, I mean, it's true. Like even um, like squirrels in this country are an exotic pet in Japan. Right. And so and here they're they're just a pest. But we know that they're incredibly intelligent animals. I've heard I've heard tale of squirrels here in Denver in downtown utilizing the walk lights and the and the crosswalks. It, yeah. And that's because squirrels hmm. that don't utilize the crosswalks and the walk lights don't make more squirrels. <laughs> yeah. Could be true. Yeah. We've got a lot of animals that are really smart that are urbanizing. Yeah, that is true. We have coyotes in our neighborhood. We have coyotes that went into uh, – we've got a Petco that that used to have doors that opened automatically. And a couple mornings they'd have coyotes go in and start eating bulk dog food just because it was there. Oh, sure. Yeah. Is it? Is oh, it- have you guys seen that video of the, uh, uh, the bird in um- – is it in Australia? Um, the the seagull that um, was going into the store eating the crisps. Yeah. Yes, I've seen that bird. Yep. Hmm. I have seen that one. Is it? Is it the? I wonder what I say. Simple Hans effect. What is it? What? What is the? Clever Hans. Clever, clever Hans. Hans. You know, it's interesting because you know we we they always say, oh well, it's a clever Hans effect, right? Because they're getting cues. The fact that the animal could get those cues in the first place is pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah that is re- remarkable. Well, you know, oh, there's a, there's also a video I saw of a bird, uh, a, a, I think it was a seagull again, on a uh, sub. He was like on the subway, and the subway came to a stop. The doors open. The bird just walks out. Uh, you've seen the I'm, Brian. I'm sure you've seen the videos of Einstein, the African Gray, right? Yeah, absolutely. He responds to. Mm-hmm. He makes noises on cue, but he doesn't miss his cues. He he knows what noise to make based upon what noise his trainer is saying. He knows what noise to respond right. with, what, based upon what she says. Right, to get the treat. Yep. Yep. Oh, I just, I'm such a dark guy. I almost said, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> anyway. A, a few years ago, I actually, I wrote an article on this. Um, there was a segment on the um live with uh, Regis and Kelly show and um it was this this dog and this was exactly the clever hans effect although the owner pretty much denied it but the, it was a dog called Math Maggie and ba- basically using her paws to tap out the numbers and it was exactly the clever hans effect and you could if you looked for it you could pretty much tell the dog was just tapping her foot and then stopping when i mean she even got it wrong a few times and people gave her a pass on that hmm mm-hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. So this this kind of thing, you know, still happens where people read way more into it and don't realize what kind of a that their body language and the way that they communicate with their pets that they can detect very subtle body language that you wouldn't even know uh, that you're doing and you can fool yourself that way. Sure. Yeah, exactly. You don't even know that you're giving the signal. 
Yeah. I think I, I think I saw that one with the dog and the couple times that the dog got it wrong and the crowd reacted, the dog said something to the effect of, Jesus, what do you expect from me? I'm a dog. <laughs> I don't know math. All right. Which was kind of impressive in and of itself. It's time to find out what you're not supposed to wear at school. <laughs> That's right. So as article here, this little five-year-old floozy, <laughs> this, this little hussy had the temerity to wear this sundress that bared her shoulders. And she, she went to school wearing this and the school, they, they made her put on a shirt and uh, a pair of pants underneath it because uh, I guess she can't be showing her ankles to, to her, her immoral ankles that, oh, that'll <laughs> just get the men. <laughs> I tell you what, there's, there's nothing more appealing than a nine-year-old's ankles. Let me tell you. Five. Five-year-old. Five no, nine. Well, this girl is five-year-old. Oh, five. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. That was a link to another article. Yeah, five years old. Oh my god. Yeah, so so this father buy, buys a dress for the for his daughter and she she wants to wear the dress, right? And so he finally yeah, he he, he felt it was appropriate, right? And so he let the he let the daughter wear the dress to school and all of a sudden you know and so he wrote the article to the paper, right? Talking yeah, about he, he about how the media, right? yeah, 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 talking about how ridiculous the, the school's um dress dress code policies are. And and here's the thing is that, you know, it, it's it's difficult because when uh, we we had the um the 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 the, the straps you know the, the the strappy shirts and stuff like that, at uh, my kids' old school they were not allowed to wear that at the at the current school, uh, I don't think that there's a dress code is there Ian I I, I think uh, I don't not think, that I know yeah. I know the old school they yeah. were really strict even about like dyeing your hair and stupid stuff like that yeah exactly yeah so and 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 they let your kid wear you know those short short skirts and so i mean it must be okay (laughs) which which he looks good in by the way the questions i would ask is first was this a was this a posted dress code that the father Mm. defied which i don't get the impression that it was i think that the second the second question i would have is what kind of response did the what kind of response did the school have to his going to the media with this? I, I don't know that, that we know that. Here's the thing that most of these dress codes are, are, are published somewhere, right? And, and it is not uncommon for, for these, for schools to have these kinds of dress codes. And a lot of times they include stuff like no colored hair. And, um, it, it, you know, so the colored hair could be, could affect boys or girls. The, the strappy, Dresses and strappy shirts, you know, with the, with the the strap, you know, just the strap on top. That that pri- that is primarily um, focused on girls. So here's my speculation. Not that I'm excusing any of this because it's complete nonsense, but um, my mm. suspicion is that it's a district wide dress code policy. So they have written the dress code to encompass. It's not. Oh, it's not. It's that no, no, no. Each of the schools has their own dress codes, and I went looking for that, particularly in Jefferson County, and I think it's the same in Texas, it, because he's talking about his specific school's dress code. The dress code. So each school it can have their own dress code. Like Je- I know that Jefferson County does not have an overall dress code policy. Cherry right? Creek does. 
That and that okay, that's interesting. So Cherry Creek has has a dress code policy. I'm pretty sure uh, that it covers that? at least the feeder high school and middle school that my kids are going to go to. It covers the high school, middle school, and elementary schools. Ha- okay, um, really? So I, yeah, I don't. But again, I, why why couldn't a high school girl wear a, a strappy dress? That was well, the whole point of all of this. Well, right? I, I guess I, I I couldn't find one for Jefferson County. I couldn't. I I, I didn't find any for Texas. I that I, I didn't look for. Um, um, uh, what what uh, where uh Cherry Creek schools? Now Cherry Creek schools is interesting because you know they they are they're definitely more of a uh, they're the yuppiest of the school districts, and Jeffco is the biggest. So I and I didn't look for Adams either, um, but he's specifically talking about the particular schools. And when I was looking up like I found dress codes um for individual schools, but I can't I could not find district ones. So we get a um, district wide packet that we have to sign off on like a uh, behavior packet and uh, it includes dress codes and it's obviously written you know and it's some other stuff like weapons policies and things like that that is obviously geared towards older students however the overarching point is who cares if a girl of any age wears a strappy dress or shows her shoulders no no is that uh, yeah speaking of i mean of that's true rules. i mean i i think the father like he sends the he you know few people like really look in detail at the dress codes or anything you just kind of figure that this seems appropriate so it should be fine and this dress for it he's got a picture of it here and the dress looks absolutely fine there's nothing yeah it seems appropriate to me something a little girl would wear well i I understood because i've seen dress codes specifically that talk about the, the the straps the strappy dresses but i was shocked about the ankle thing I like. Are you kidding me? If it's <laughs> it's down past the knee and it's showing ankle, holy well, shit! I, you know, it's 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 based upon the location of the school because apparently it's it's located in the Victorian era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. exactly. It's located in the Texas era, which exactly. is its own separate. Yeah, apparently this dress is quite long. Uh, the girl apparently uh, has to like hold it up if she's walking over. Like uh, dew-soaked grass or any something to not get it wet. So it's like the only thing that they could. But they made her wear pants anyway underneath these things, e- even though she was wearing a pair of shorts underneath her dress. They made her wear pants over that. Um, I guess because they didn't want anybody to see her ankles. I don't know. That's so excessive. <laughs> this the pants thing yeah, is that, so yeah. excessive. Yeah. I, I thought so too. And I and even even this the, the straps are bullshit, right? I, I mean, agree. It's like yeah. give me a break. So the the shoulders are a problem. I mean that that thing comes up I mean practically to her neck and then has and then has straps and and it's like are are you it's are you a kidding me? It's a little girl's summer dress. Even if, if it was right, but to your point, even that, if it's that, not that, a little girl. Well that dress would be appropriate to an older girl as well. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Sure. You know, talking of weapons codes, though, that you mentioned, weapons apparently codes? Uh, weapons codes, codes include weapons the one codes? ring. Yeah. What? Oh, yeah, yeah. There was a case where um, you're, you're referring to that case where, like, uh, yeah, there's a, a link boy... to it in the article. Oh. Yeah, there's a, there's a case Daniel where. Daniel Boy suspended by officials at a Texas school because they believe bringing an imaginary hobbit <laughs> ring to class is an act of terrorism. <laughs> Specifically, specifically, the little boy that apparently they considered it a threat that he said that he could make a classmate disappear. They considered it a credible threat. 
Like he brought Voldemort's wand. <laughs> oh, it oh. I'm going to make you disappear. It'd be a shame if you didn't give me your homework or whatever. Wow. So there are um, this next article that I have in here talks about four different myths that that dress codes. So a lot of times these dress codes are enacted with people with good intentions, even though their intentions are misguided and wrong. That I mean, um, they they do a lot of times are not trying to punish kids, right? But the first myth is. Dress codes level the playing field. The idea here is that there's different social economic statuses. And so some people can afford stuff that others can't. So by saying all kids must wear the same thing to school, somehow you're, you're leveling the playing field so that nobody will feel like somebody else is, is, um, better off than they are. That's where, if you're talking about strict dress codes, right. you have to wear. I uh, like a uniform. Right, exactly. Yeah. Which works great until the one kid pulls out their, you know, $600 iPhone. So th- I don't know. This well, is a myth I sort of want to believe. Yeah. Actually, I, let me let me throw this in here. <clears throat> if you've got a dress code that's a white shirt and blue pants, okay, or a white shirt and a blue skirt, even if everybody's wearing quote unquote the same thing, you can still tell the difference between the kids who bought their white shirt and their blue pants at a thrift store. Versus ones who bought theirs at J.C. Penney's. So that's part of it. I mean, the thrift store ones are nicer. Yeah, I mean, you cannot. You're you're never going to be able to hide the socioeconomic status of kids. I mean, so some kids are going to have better food in their lunches. They're going to have you know iPhone, iPhones, iPads. They're going to have stuff that the other kids won't. So so I mean, clothes. Yes, clothes are are an identifier a lot of times, right? But mm-hmm. they're not the only identifier. So this idea that you can um that 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 somehow you can wash that away by making them all wear the same things i mean it's it's just it's just not going to happen what i have to stop picking my kid up on the rolls just because you can only afford a toyota corolla so i'm i'm going to disagree with you a little bit because i think that i agree that it does not totally wash it away because yes there are all kinds of other markers of status um that are apparent and visible no matter what kids are wearing but um Maybe it mutes some of that just a little bit, some of that pressure to have like the specific brand of whatever polo shirt or whatever it is that's in fashion in that moment. Why is this a good thing? Why why is it a good thing to say that your kid cannot be an individual in any sort of way? We want them but to think in with the crowd. That they can though, because they have the iPhone and they have the jewelry and they have the watch and they have the all these other things that they individualize. Yeah, well, when they go to prison, they can wear the same things of other as other people too. I don't know. I guess I don't have a huge problem with an across-the-board uniform policy. At least it's consistent. It's consistent, and it doesn't knock the girls more than the boys. Right. Okay, but know? then then you then you're also going to say that it's okay for them to say they can't color their hair either. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's. I'm not. I'm not trying to do. You're arguing a slippery slope, which I'm not <laughs> going to go down. But I I do think it. I do think that that we go down that way. So we, I mean, we try and make the kids look as uniform as possible. I mean, how, how, I mean, how is saying that they can't have different, that they can't wear different shirts different than saying they can't, they, now they can't, they can't dye their so, hair either. So school is like a job. So, uh, <clears throat> in certain occupations, you have to wear scrubs or you have to wear a certain type of uniform to yeah. do your job. And so I don't, I guess I don't see a huge difference between that and school. Right. So it's okay to make the factories and the schools and the jails all the same kind of layouts, right? Because we figured that that's what <laughs> our kids are going to I'm not going down the slippery slope, right? <laughs> But that's what they used to do. <laughs> I don't buy it. I don't think it. I don't think. I don't think this does any good. 
So you think it's you think it's okay to make all the kids blonde haired and blue eyed? <laughs> it's and not. Wear, I'm not going down the, the youth slippery slope there, Mac. I'm not doing it. I'm not arguing. I'm not. We will have marching. <laughs> That's I'm right. Saying, can we can we frame it just a little differently and think about it like a uniform? They're doing real important work at school, and maybe you know having them go through the ritual of putting on their school uniform helps sort of okay. set them up to be more successful. Do they buy their school uniform, or does the school provide the uniform? I don't know. I don't know. If well, the school provides the uniform, then I'm okay with it. If they have to buy their uniform then there's going to be differing qualities of clothing and I'm not, you're going to lose the effect of the uniform. I'm not disagreeing. I don't think that you use the effect of the uniform. You lose the effect of the uniform. Do uh, doctors who buy their scrubs at, I don't know what, Neiman Marcus, are they, I mean, they're doctors, right? So are they, they, have, they automatically have more social status, I guess, than other hospital workers. But let's say somebody buys uh, shitty-looking scrubs at Walmart and somebody buys nicer-looking scrubs at some whatever name brand scrub store hospital Actually, scrub store. For, for doctors the scrub is uniform but the colors are not in a lot of cases you you've got scrubs that are in uh pattern tops and things like that so i don't know if i send my kid to some yuppie prep school that requires a uniform that's fine but but at a pri but at a public school is it i mean that that's okay I don't think I, uh, I actually uh, went to a private school for a few years, and we did have to wear uh, a uniform. And um, I don't know. I don't think that uniforms I, – I don't think that it helped in my school career in any way. And, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical, too, that, uh, that children should be forced to wear them. The uh, Brian, the correct pronunciation is yuppie dick prep school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what, what what the article says here? Let's see if I can pull the piece out of here that's relevant. Um, it says uh, many dress code enthusiasts believe that dress codes erase visible social, social economic, and cultural differences that can result in unfair treatment um, by peers and teachers. Uh, that without the dress code, students are unnecessarily forced. Focused on appearance. So that's not what I'm arguing. That's not what you're arguing at all, actually. No. So, so what, what she's saying is that it doesn't matter. So what there's, yeah. So this idea that they're going to get treated uniformly because they're wearing uniforms is what this article is saying is foolish. Which I agree is foolish. Yeah. Okay. All right. Dress codes take the pressure off of girls to dress sexy. I'm going to call that a myth. Yeah, here, here's because the idea. how many people, dumbass included, have a Catholic schoolgirl fantasy? <laughs> uh, indeed, this is Gene Kilborn, author of "So Sex So Soon: The New Sexualized Childhood," told the Christian Science Monitor, "School dress codes can help take away some of the pressure that girls feel to be." Uh, to be don sexual outfits, to darn don sexual outfits. The problem I have with this is, is number one, I mean, realistically, the girls should wear what they feel comfortable with, and they shouldn't be pressured to wear anything. However, they live in a culture that does pressure them. Yeah, mm. and even a uniform can be tarted up. Right, Sure. exactly. Yeah, to your point about I mean, the Catholic we, school girl. But isn't this like... Isn't this a little presumptuous that the only reason that girls would wear clothes that show off their body is because of pressure that 
can't we say that maybe girls might want to wear those kinds of clothes and look that way because they like the way it looks? Sure. This can totally say that. This view assumes teen girls have no autonomy in deciding what they wear. It assumes that they dress for others. Moreover, it assumes that sexualizing sexualization is the fault of the girl and not of the person sexualizing them. Yeah, the misplaced blame. Exactly. So we're misplacing blame right right from the start there. This idea. So so if they're wearing something that, that they're comfortable with. It doesn't mean that, that they should be sexualized and if somebody else is doing it is they're they're the problem, not not the person wearing the wearing the short skirt or whatever. And this is the other thing is that I, I'm sorry that we cannot protect our kids from all of this stuff either. They need to wear stuff. Right. And, and, and if and if they get made fun of by other kids, I mean, not that they should be made fun of, but I mean, it. At some point, you you know you've got to you've got to learn what you're willing to put up with and what you're not, and you have to have the room to do that. If we say you can't wear that, you must wear this, and you must look this way, we're we're denying that person their individuality and the ability to to learn what makes them comfortable. Uh, there's a paragraph further down that I need to read because it's so fucking true. Okay. It says a teen may simply be trying to be fashionable, but an adult may perceive her outfit as sending a sexual message. Or a girl may indeed be trying to look sexy, but the adult is almost certainly not her intended audience. Ah, fuck there yeah, you go. yeah, fuck yeah to that. But once again, with the, the kids have to have room to experiment and try stuff. Yeah, and if they want to, if they want to look a little sexy, I think that's fine. The yeah, adults should stay sure. out of it because it says further down even that they're uh, the adults are overly sexualizing by getting involved at all. Which again is true. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's the other problem, right? I, is that I the feel moment like that, that was the case in that in that Texas thing with the sundress? Yeah. They, Five years old. They 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 sexualized her way more than than she could than you know than the dress would have been sexy otherwise. Yeah. That's the, the by shaming the stuff we sexualize it in, in a lot of ways. Yep. I love this. Dress codes mean fewer disciplinary problems. And I, and I like this because I, I'm going to focus. I'm going to I'm going to phrase this in a way that uh, that dumbass can understand this. Dumbass. <laughs> hey, I already picked on him, Brian. You stop. I know. Put on my thinking cap. I'll, okay, I'll okay. try to get this in my head. Canadian. So talk slowly. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> okay. Okay. If you have a website, you have one problem. If you have a content management system, you have two problems. No. No good for you. Yeah, I, I, it was only because he was a web developer, not because he was Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do think, though, that the, the point that having to enforce the dress code does automatically make a higher level of discipline problems happen. Well, the, this idea that you're going to have fewer, the, if you, the, the moment you impose more rules, there are more rules that have to be enforced. So how can you have fewer disciplinary problems? This idea that by posing this dress code, all the other disciplinary problems go away. Which ones go away by saying you have to wear blue, blue jeans and a white shirt? Which ones go away? Yeah. I think I remember like when I was, uh, in private school, uh, uh, they threw around a lot of language to the effect that studies have shown that this happens. But, of course, you got to take it with a grain of salt whenever people say studies have shown. Right. So I don't know. There, there might have been some small study that showed that and everybody jumped on that. I haven't looked into it much, actually. But, 
it sounds to me like it's plausible that this is probably a huge myth that they'd have less disciplinary problems. The idea is that, you know, just the, the wearing a suit and tie or something uh, makes students feel like they should be more respectful and that they should, should be more model citizens, which I'm not, I think maybe once the not, maybe if it's, the novelty factor of it once that wears off though i think students will be students this is saying that that the, they've shown that having fewer dress codes shows less disciplinary problems in this article is there an argument for ritual though not necessarily associated with a dress code from school but like if you have um a morning ritual that sets you up like i was saying to do your work or to go to school or if you treat school like work and you have to have a certain you know there's certain expectations um, of effort and demeanor and how you look and all of that while you're in school. Is that necessarily a bad thing? Well, but it, it, there's one thing for them to, to learn those things on their own and find out what works for them, and it's another to impose them on them. And maybe that's the difference. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. I, like the, uh, I like the point that's made here that disciplinary action for dress code violations tends to lean more heavily uh, – tends to be applied more heavily to black and Latin students right? And, rather than uh, rather than white students. Right. And the, the other problem is that – and we know that they are – that they're more likely to be um, – uh, girls are more likely to be subject to these things. So so they're sexist and, and, then, and then there's a racial component too. Sure. They call that racist, Brian. Th- thank you. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> sexist and racist. Sexist and racist. Yeah. So that's the problem with these dress codes is that when you read them, especially, they primarily are um, are, are penalizing female students, right? That because the, because the the things that they're looking at and that they're judging, like the strappy dresses, right? Well, I, I I've never worn a strappy dress to school. So in in most male clothing that 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 is sold would never be in violation of these dress codes, where much of stuff sold for women uh, and young girls will be in violation of it. So so right. now so now we're so now we're saying the women have to think about more about what they wear than men do. As right. if you did, you'd probably want to wear some sunscreen. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just saying. What was that, Terry? I said, as we always have to think more about what we wear than men do. Well, I mean, but here's the thing is that it's certainly unfair, right? Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Whether, whether true or not, it's, it's unfair. And so why should it start? Why should it, why should, if we, if we, if we want equality, right? Some of these things have to go. Well, remember when we, uh, didn't we cover a story with our high school in Utah, like photoshopped yearbook photos? Yep. Yeah. Right, that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. There was another story about a girl who wore a tuxedo to a prom, and because that vi- and because her wearing that violated the dress code, she couldn't be in any of the prom pictures. That is such. Isn't that stuff. insane? Wait. Uh, so 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 that was inappropriate for some reason. Wearing a, a female in a tuxedo because it's against you gender need a norms. To wear a tuxedo, didn't well, you? Know that? Apparently so. Right. <laughs> I think only I think only white tie you require a penis. Uh. <laughs> dress codes make teaching teachers jobs easier and so this is so this so here this is the idea that um so by particularly boys will be totally distracted by girls wearing you know wearing th- these outfits so we need to make sure that girls are dressed appropriately so boys can focus so we're so we're going to sexualize girls 
while while boys were gonna while boys were gonna remind them that they're completely in unable to control themselves. And we what don't ever. The, uh, what is the point that I make over and over again? Girls don't have to wear a sexy outfit for boys to be completely distracted. <laughs> right. Well, I, well, was and about, we I was just about to say that. All they have to do is be girls. We don't acknowledge that all the boys have to do to distract the girls is to be boys. Because it's not okay for girls to, you know, we don't make it okay for girls to be so distracted in the same way by the boys. That's so, why we're not and, worried about what the boys this are wearing. Is, or girls, I, was, I, was I was constantly distracted by the girls around me, both when I was in public school and when I went to the private school. I tell you what, a dick print and some <laughs> Levi's, I would be totally distracted. Are you kidding me? No, see, gr- girls are supposed to be distracted because they're supposed to be the ones that rely on the men. Men need to be educated so they can take care of the women. <laughs> so the women distracting the men, that's not good. So that's right. Ian, you're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the, the, the man might accidentally hit himself with his shovel while he's digging that ditch. <laughs> so I this is is particularly a problem that I have with these dress codes. This idea that number one we're we're over sexualizing the girls, right? And, and and once again, as adults, we're not their audience, right? Can I just drive this point home one yeah, more time? Go ahead, number two please. is that we're not sexualizing the boys because we're ignoring the fact absolutely. that girls are sexual. I, absolutely, but these dress codes in particular are because boys can't control themselves. Right. So, so men are incapable. This idea that, that, that boys and men are incapable of controlling themselves and, and focusing on what they need to do because of distractions around them. This is why, this is why men are out raping other women. They just have, they just can't control themselves. It's the women's fault for dressing that way. Yeah. That seems reasonable. <laughs> yeah. There, there is an element of that. And I think the, a lot of it is about controlling sexuality. And there's this male culture out there which kind of treats women's sexuality as something i don't know what's the word i'm looking for here that you know something that they that they can focus on and make the woman's sexuality like her her whole being all about her sexuality not Uh, about her for herself though for men right not about her enjoying her own sexuality and being an independent sexual person it's about her being sexual for men and don't and don't forget that, that you know that sex is dirty, and girls yeah. are dirty. Yes, but apparently but objectific- objectification is clean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're right. Uh, well, but if you wash it well. But here's the thing: is that if we get them to dress appropriately, we can't objectify them. <laughs> <laughs> Did I mention Dick Prince and Levi's? Because I can objectify just about. <laughs> but, well, but that that's kind of the point, right? Is that ultimately it doesn't matter what the kids are wearing. <laughs> You know, but, you know it, the, way, the way certain guys talk about women, it's, it seems like they're the way they look mm-hmm. and the way they dress is the most important thing about them. And, the, you know, they'll, they'll mention it, just talk about that at inappropriate times and like just go on and on about it. It's like they're they've I think there's this male culture that makes it permissible to focus on those details about a woman, whereas, you know, we, I think what we need to focus on is more like, you know, you find a woman attractive, you think that uh, the thing she's wearing shows off her body really well. It's okay to notice that, but there doesn't need to be this huge focus on it. So uh, I also have a daughter, and uh, I'm better now, but I had to really – I have to really – and I still make mistakes, but I really think about complimenting her on things other than 
how she's like making a deliberate effort. Oh, you're so strong. You're such a good reader. You're such a da 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 da. You're so fast on your bike. You're such a great artist. Instead of, oh, you look so beautiful. Oh, your hair's so nice. She does, and she is, and she's so stinking cute. But I really try hard to find, at least most of the time, something else to say. You know, that's one thing that um, I learned with my wife um, that she took much better to compliments about stuff she did or accomplished over compliments about her looks. Well, I, and that's one thing, especially with the kids, you know, we do, I, I try to compliment them on the things that, that, that they've done well, right? And when I read an article talking about how you should never tell your kid they're smart. Oh, no, I tell my kids they're smart. All well, but, but, God damn you it. know, <laughs> if, you're, if you're complimenting something on their looks, Did you tell really all you're doing Never is mind. just complimenting their genetics. My, you know, here's the thing. As I say these things. And, and if you're usually, complimenting their genetics, you're really just a Nazi. Right. Well, that's that's <laughs> well, OK, that that that's <laughs> that's extreme. Wow. No, well, but that the, escalated quickly. Yeah. But here's oh, the I thing. I saw that, that argument somewhere and I you thought know, it was brilliant. I mean, certainly. <laughs> We all want to believe that our that well, our. If you compliment your own kid's genetics, you're really complimenting yourself. Yourself. <laughs> yeah. See, I had a point. Oh, so <laughs> shit. Brian got distracted by I, a pretty girl. I, I got distracted. <laughs> and, and let Have me fun let editing me, this one, Brian. And let me just say, Mac, that dress really sets up your eyes. Thank you. Um, when we, 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 the 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 idea is. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to tell the, your kids that, that they're smart necessarily. You want to recognize their accomplishments. But this, but if you, but if they think that some, for some reason they're smart, then maybe they think they don't have to work at things. And I always tell my kids that, you know, that, that things, you know, everything, things are difficult and it's okay to fail, right? Right. Um, that, that the point is to, to, to try and, and whether they're smart or not, they're going to fail, right? So, so you have to look at individual accomplishments. Sure, that's a good point. I mean, uh, you've got to be ever... more, Brian, than just tell them it's okay. To <laughs> you have to make sure you set them up to do so. Here's the thing: is that I can recognize nobody, nobody ever telling me that I was smart ever did me any good, right? Whether I'm smart or not doesn't matter, man. I have to, I, I have to work at stuff to to accomplish something. So, so it's the work that I, that I want to focus on, not whether or not they're intelligent or not. Sure. Although my kids are smart, I'm just <laughs> you know what I you know what I tend to compliment people on more than more than for being smart. I tend to compliment people on being curious. Sure, exactly. That's another that's another good thing. Yeah, because but, uh, people who are curious find things out. Here's the thing: is that I know. Well, you know, I find you all very curious people. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know, Terry's kids may be smart. I know that my kids are very much average. And if there's somebody that was in trouble for throwing peas, my kid probably started it. <laughs> well, it's good that they're giving peas a chance. <laughs> the next article I had in here that I th I think that it's a little long for us to go into, um, but it's and I think we've kind of covered it is does slut shaming start with school dress codes? And I think that I think that we've got a, already answered that we've covered a lot of the points that they hit in the article, but the the answer is. In my opinion, is yes, is is that we're starting a lot of it right there by by you know by, by over sexualizing kids and telling what they can and cannot wear. And there's an interesting video at the end of this where they ask some. I, I think that there are um, elementary or maybe junior high kids. 
um, about different clothings and, and how, what, and how they felt about different people. And the interesting thing is that these kids are, are looking at like what Beyonce is wearing and what, and what, and what Nicki Minaj is wearing. And they're going, holy shit, that's not pretty. Yeah, it's sexy, but it's, but it, it certainly doesn't go qualify as pretty. And they had, and they, and they made distinctions between what they thought was pretty and what they thought was sexy. And, and what, and how they, and, and they even, you know, made the points of how they felt about those different things and, and those different people and, and stuff like that. So the video is actually really interesting and very telling about how, just how kids are, are looking at this clothing and what they think. So maybe, and, and it's kind of like, well, okay, if, if maybe if we just let them do their thing, they'll probably turn out okay. Sure. All right. What else we got? Do we got something happier to end on? Well, well. As this is May the 4th, at least we were recording this, this is May the 4th. Yes. It shouldn't be actually out for a couple weeks. Hopefully not a couple weeks, but, you know, it could happen. (laughs) We will finish it with some Star Wars. All right. As we are all geeks, I think we agree on that. So. I take um, umbrage at that, good (laughs) sir. That's right. (laughs) For those of you who have not had the privilege, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um, the new Star Wars movie that will be out this Christmas season, um, they put out a teaser trailer for it, which I got to see in 3D on Friday because we went to see Avengers Age Voltron in 3D, and they played it beforehand, and that was definitely a moment to geek out on. That was just awesome. Anyways, upon release of this trailer, uh, Disney stock spiked. Because, um, for, as we've talked in the past, Disney now owns the rights to, uh, owns Lucasfilms, and so owns all of the Star Wars to come. So, uh, you know, needless to say, um, there's a lot of hype and a lot of uh, us fans who are getting highly invested in this film, especially after what the prequels delivered. You know, we, we hope this will refix the brand, and obviously with just this trailer, uh, I think the public in general is feeling that this is in the right direction. I, well, I haven't seen the trailer yet, and since I refuse to pay extra for 3D because it's crap. Well, actually, we didn't have pay extra. There's a whole long story in that. Oh, okay, we got okay, some okay. Passes well, and stuff. Right, That's right. why we did it. it so, so cool. I didn't get. I didn't get that trailer. There was a comic strip. Uh, I read a number of web comics. This was uh, PVP, and they had people's reactions to the Star Wars teaser trailer. And they show three panels of people going, ee, ooh, wonderful. And then the fourth panel is George Lucas going, eh, yeah, it's okay, I guess. <laughs> well, one of the big things is we actually <laughs> finally get to see an aged Han Solo in it. With, you know, so, and a few things like that, a lot of little hidden things like, oh, this is going to be awesome. So, Doesn't he crash the Millennium Falcon into a golf course at some point in the movie? Though? <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like he flies through the ruins of a, um old Star Destroyer. Or at least someone flies the Millennium Falcon through those ruins. Is it a Star Destroyer or is it a Super Star Destroyer? Um, the, the, what we see from a distance looks like a normal Star Destroyer for me. To me, um, what we see him fly through is the engines of a ship, so it, it's harder to tell from the backside if it's a Star Destroyer or a Super Star Destroyer. It's probably a standard Corvette class. <laughs> do I get extra bonus points for knowing that there are two different kinds of yeah, stars? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Of course, today being um, May the 4th, uh, on Facebook, there are all sorts of links like crazy. Um, apparently, Vanity Fair, the next issue, will have a whole article on Star Wars The Force Awakens showing some um, production pictures that look pretty awesome and talking about some of the characters. 
So right now you can find so many Star Wars things online. Because they need today. to get Liam Neeson back in there as a Jedi with a particular set of skills. So are the Star Destroyers the big triangle-shaped ones? Yes. Yes. Okay. yes. And there's regular and super. You know, to, to give you an idea of the scale of a Star Destroyer versus the Millennium Falcon, um, in Empire Strikes Back, Han hid the Millennium Falcon from the Star Destroyer's sensors by basically clamping the ship onto the back of the bridge. In a regular... Wait, I'm not processing that. Say that one more time. Okay. The Star Destroyer is a triangle, and then it's got a tower, and that tower spreads out into a kind of a cross shape Uh with a couple of globes on top of it. Yep. That is the bridge of the Star Destroyer. Okay. Where it's controlled from. So Han, in order to evade the Star Destroyer and not be detected clamped the Millennium Falcon onto the back of the bridge. Ah, and it just So the bridge, Millennium Falcon could hide on the back of that tower. Got it. And that was a regular size Star Destroyer. That was a regular Star Destroyer. Is there a dumber place to put a bridge? <laughs> it seems like a vulnerable position. To well, exactly. Let, we saw look. that return. And the I, have you, have you yeah. seen the bridges of these things? They're, they're like got open pits in them and you have <laughs> no railings. No railings. Yeah, yeah that's right. Man, well, the has a big thing there. against railings anyway. OSHA would have yeah. a heyday, man. They would go nuts. So you look at this, like, what kind of a weird design is that, too? They, they got, like, the, these pits down there where people are working uh, in, in a lower level, and then I guess you'd have to go down a ladder to get to them, you know, and if you, a little bridge if over top. If you anything about the Star Wars Expanded Universe, though, you would know that the uh, the Empire worked hard to break the back of the Railers Guild uh, for the incredibly high rates that they were charging. <laughs> that explains everything. I made that whole thing up. I just thought it was stupid. If I was gonna, if I, I would build a bridge like in the center of the ship, <laughs> where yeah. it's hard to get to. Well, I said, in Return of the Jedi, one ship makes it through, destroys the bridge of the Super Star Destroyer, and causes it to crash into the Death Star. Yeah. So, spoiler. <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> That's Return of the Jedi. I know. That's a twenty-five-year-old spoiler. What, uh, what, what really sucked about that particular thing is both the Star Destroyer and the Death Star had the same insurance. <laughs> uh, Skyco, and as it turns out. So I put in a link to uh, Saturday Night Live did a spoof of the new trailer, which is so funny. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. so funny. All the characters are are aged. So like, um, <laughs> Luke has uh, has like a lightsaber walker, and he's <laughs> like uh, he's got his pill. He's using the force to organize his his daily medications into this into the weekly distribution box, like Saturday <laughs> Sunday Monday, <laughs> the pill box. I, <laughs> I got a kick out of the Millennium Falcon with the handicap plate on the on the back, yeah. and Han and Solo going, "Go around, the was go on. around." Chewbacca <laughs> awesome. and the dog collar. The, the cone. Trying to program R two, Han. How do you work this thing? And R two flashing twelve o'clock on the front of his. Yeah. <laughs> Chewbacca it, it was, was wearing the was so the cone funny. of shame. Yeah, the cone, the of, cone shame. of shame. Poor Chewbacca. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to watch that again. <laughs> yeah, make sure you go in though and watch uh, Black Widow: Age of Me. Yeah, 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 the, right the other SNL spoof. Yeah. You can find that on Hulu. All right. Well, I think that's about gonna wrap it up. Say goodnight, everybody. Good night. Good night. Well, if you've made it this far, that's an hour of your time you're never getting back. 
but the amateur skeptics appreciate you giving that hour to us. If you'd like to tell us how you felt about spending that hour with us, let us know at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. You could always roast us in a voicemail at 720-295-7785. The Amateur Skeptics Podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons share-alike, no-derivatives, 3.5 license. So, hand it to an unsuspecting friend, but please, just don't change the content. Intro music by Peter Canold. Find more of Peter's music at soundcloud.com forward slash P-K-A-N-O-L. Exit music by OFM. Find more of their music at myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. Artwork for the Amateur Skeptics by Sean Smith Ford. Copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture.